The picture in the center there on the right-hand side is uh, Pastor uh, Rashid uh, from Pakistan that is part of our denomination, recently came in. He and his brother, as you remembered, we shared this uh, months back, were murdered uh, while they were in the court uh, and because of their faith in Jesus Christ. Over there, that's considered blasphemy. If you speak against uh, Muhammad, even though he had not spoken against Muhammad, he had been speaking for Christ, uh, they trumped up charges, got him arrested, and uh, they were getting ready to release them when a gunman came in and killed him and his brother. Uh, his brother was engaged. He was just recently married, Pastor Rashid was, and left wives and fiancés and, and churches. And right now, <clears throat> the church in Pakistan is struggling. The family is still on the move constantly. Uh, there's still threats against them. One of the men involved in the murder has been arrested, um, which is surprising to me. But in Pakistan, if you want to prosecute and press charges against someone, you have to pay for it. Yeah. And, uh, and so the family would have to come up with the money to prosecute. Well, they're in hiding right now anyway. Uh, their assets are hard to get a hold of. Plus, I don't have many, and uh, the chances of him getting convicted are, are slim to none. And uh, so they just continue to struggle over there. Uh, there is another brother that has kind of taken over, and the churches are still meeting, although they are moving at times, uh, as they try to continue to preach Christ in Pakistan. The other two pictures are from a recent bombing in Iraq in a Catholic church. Uh, John Demet sent me this uh, article a while back. And, it, it, and these are some of the photographs after that. I'm going to read a short bit from a New York Times article on that. But persecution is happening all around the world of the, of the church just because they claim Christ. Uh, we're sitting here comfortable this morning, and maybe we feel just a little too warm or a little too cool, depending on who you are, or, or wish we had an extra row of padding on the seats or on the back or whatever it may be. But our experience today is much different from the majority of the world. Uh, as they face death for their faith. Persecution statistics, more than 43 million Christians have been killed for their faith since the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. Is a guesstimate, 43 million. Uh, it has been estimated that more Christians have been martyred in the 20th century than in all prior 1900 years. Isn't that hard to believe? There have been more than 26 million documented cases of martyrdom in this century alone. More than 2 million Christians in over 60 nations face persecution each day. 60% of these are children. 150 to 165,000 are martyred each year. And I know we don't think about that. 165,000 every year, and today, 21st century, today, are being killed for their faith in Christ. Christian, Christians are one of the most persecuted of people in the world right now. The pictures I shared are what happened in Baghdad at one of the churches there. And the article, I'm not going to read it all, I'm just going to read it for some lines and talk about it. It said, Blood still smeared the walls of Our Lady of Salvation Church on Monday. Scraps of flesh remained between the pews. It was the worst massacre of Iraqi Christians since the war began in 2003. We've lost part of our soul now, said Rudy Khalid, a 16-year-old Christian who lived across the street. He shook his head 
quote, our destiny, no one knows what to say of it, unquote. Iraq was once a remarkable meshing of beliefs, customs, and traditions. The killings on Sunday drew another border in a nation defined more by war, occupation, deprivation. Identities have hardened. Um, nearly all the Iraqi Jews left long ago. Many harassed uh, Iraqi Christians have dwindled, once numbering anywhere between 800,000 to 1.4 million. Did you ever know that? Up to 1.4 million Christians in Iraq. But at least half are thought to have migrated since 2003. So the numbers of Christians are dwindling there. On the morning after security forces stormed the Syrian Catholic Church, freeing hostages, believing far more dead and wounded behind, there were no answers. Not in the statement of outrage from Iraqi leaders themselves blamed for the dysfunction. Um, it says, uh, I'm trying to narrow down here, most of all, not from the survivors once said, the gunman who sees the church on Sunday evening had only one task in mind. They came to kill, kill, kill. Blood, flesh, and bones, he described the scene. You can't bear the smell. Um, it says, uh, uh, knots of survivors as well as their friends and relatives stood in the streets amid bullet casings and bandage wraps, some of them crying. Survivors said Father Sabi was pushed to the ground as he grasped the crucifix and pleaded with the gunman to spare the worshipers. He was then killed, his body riddled with bullets. We must die here, Father, uh, I can't pronounce his name, said defiantly, we cannot leave this country. One point when the gunman first came in, one of the priests were able to, to take a group and move them to a back room and barricaded them in. And after a period of time, the gunman held the building. They found out they were back there and couldn't break through their barricade. So they went outside and threw grenades through the windows into that room where those people were. Not all of them were killed, but many were injured and a number were killed. As soon as the Iraqi version of SWAT I can't remember what they're called, broke through the doors of the church. All the gunmen threw their grenades and ignited their vests and killed a total of 58. Now I'm hearing some numbers up near 80 may have died as a result since then. The world is not as we see it here in terms of our Christian faith. If you turn with me to Hebrews chapter 11, Hebrews chapter 11 32, we'll just kind of back up and refresh our minds here. The writer of Hebrews is listing all these great people of faith who have, who have died, and some were able to defeat their enemies, some were not. So by faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they uh, encircled it for seven days. By faith, Rahab the harlot did not perish along with those who were disobedient after she welcomed the spies in peace. And what more shall I say? For time will failed to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, and Samuel, and the prophets, who by faith conquered Canaan, performed acts of righteousness, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, from weakness were made strong, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. And others? And others, verse 35, were tortured, not accepting their release so they might obtain a better resurrection. Not everyone who claims the name of Christ 
makes it through their time of persecution. Jesus said himself that the servant is not better than his master. If they hated the master, they will hate the servant. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. Right now, America is fairly safe for Christians. Not entirely, but fairly safe. I believe those days will change. I believe the time will come when this will be more common here as it is over there. In fact, the scripture says the persecution will arise against the church. A time of great tribulation that the world has never seen. And of course, it comes on the heels in the beginning of the Antichrist as he makes his move on this world as the end of the age comes. And as we were doing 90 days through the Bible, uh, yesterday was the day we were supposed to finish up Revelation. And of course, you can't read Revelation without hearing those themes of tribulation and trials and troubles, the seals, the trumpets, the bowls, and also the hope and the fixing of all things at the end. And, uh, and that's the part that I want to talk about is that many do suffer, but not forever. That there is a hope, and the hope is in the resurrection. And he says it here. It says, they all suffered not receiving what they wanted, so they may obtain a better resurrection. And I want to talk about that phrase better a little bit today, a better resurrection. What does he mean by that? If you'll turn with me to Revelation chapter 20, I want to look there for a moment. The idea that there's a better resurrection suggests that there's a worse one, doesn't it? Revelation chapter 20. Remember Genesis from August 16th? <laughs> Do you remember Genesis 1? It starts out great. In the beginning, God. And he creates, and it's beautiful. Then Adam and Eve come along, and it doesn't become so beautiful anymore. <laughs> is that for me or is that for you? All right. And uh, if it's God, I want to talk to him. And um, I got some questions like, is professional wrestling really real? And, you know, things like that that I really just, I just need to know. And, uh, and so, I'm just seeing if you're awake, listening, paying attention. Um, and, uh, and then it gets bad. And the false happens and the curse comes. Well, the end of the book is the re redoing of that and the fixing of those things. And, and death was brought in by Adam, Paul says. And, and, but life is brought in by Christ. And life abundant now, but life eventually in the future in the hope of the resurrection. And that's, and that's where we are. We're at the end of the book, last couple chapters. In Revelation chapter 20, verse 4. Then I saw the thrones and they sat upon them and judgment was given to them. And I saw the souls of those who have been beheaded because of their testimony of Jesus and because of the word of God and those who had not worshipped the beast or his image. Now notice what it says here. The souls of those who had been beheaded, those who were persecuted. There's Pastor Rashid, the blood still on him from the bullet wounds because of the name of Jesus Christ and the preaching of the word of God. In certain countries, we wouldn't have done the 90 days through the Bible and advertised it. But it's because of that Bible, that 90-day thing that you're working on, that Word of God, it says they were beheaded for the testimony of Jesus and because of the Word of God. And they would not worship the beast. We won't turn there, but in Revelation 6, 9, in, in a metaphorical sense, John sees these souls under the altar 
crying out to the Lord, how much longer, those who have died because of their faith, how much longer till things are made right, until we're avenged? And God says, wait a little longer, wait a little longer. Well, it's a little longer now, and Revelation 20 has come, and it's time for the rewarding of the saints. And so there are many who have been beheaded. This is during the time of the tribulation because they would not take the mark of the beast. But as the Old Testament says in a number of places, it says the blood of the righteous that have been slain cries out to me. That God hears the cry of the blood of the saints that has been spilled. You know, often the wicked think they get away with it because they kill the righteous and walk away and may go on and live a long and normal life for them. But the day is not done yet. As believers, there is a reckoning coming for the righteous and for the wicked, which is the good and the bad resurrection. There are two in Scripture. And Hebrews says that these all were tortured and killed and sawn in two and would not accept release so that they may obtain the better resurrection. And so John, as he writes this, and and is this being revealed to him in vision form, he says, I saw these souls who, who had died for Christ. And they would not receive the mark on their forehead or on their hand. And it says in verse 4, And they came to life, and they were dead, came to life from the grave, and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until a thousand years were completed. This is the first resurrection. So those who come to life at the beginning of the thousand years, in other words, we don't have time to do all the prophecy today, but there's seven years of tribulation, In my understanding, at the end of the seven years, Christ returns. Christ raises the dead, changes the living. If we're not dead, we don't have to die. We're changed in mortality. We meet Christ in the air. We return with him, and we begin to reign here on the earth for a thousand years. That is the first resurrection when Christ returns. Paul calls it the last trumpet. In Revelation, the last trumpet is the seventh trumpet. Revelation 11 says, when the seventh angel blew his trumpet, it came time for the rewarding of the saints. In other words, the resurrection takes place at the last trumpet. And so there is two resurrections in Scripture, and there have always been two resurrections in Scripture. And even in the Old Testament, they knew that. And he says, so this one at the end, or excuse me, at the beginning of the thousand years, this is the first resurrection. And John is going to go on to say, if you've got an option to pick between one or two, I would suggest you pick one. It is the better resurrection. Continue to read with me there. It says, this is the first resurrection, end of verse 5. Blessed and holy is the one who has part in the first resurrection. Over these, the second death has no power, but they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him for a thousand years. He says, those who take part in this first resurrection, the second death, has no power over them. What? Now there's two deaths too? Is it bad enough we have to die once? Yes, there are two resurrections and two deaths. If you get in the first resurrection, you don't have to take part in the second death. That's the good news today. And that comes to Jesus Christ by accepting him as our Savior. And so only the righteous are raised. That's what the end of the matter is. The baseline is that when Christ returns, of all the people who have died and are in the grave... Only the righteous come to life. The wicked stay in the ground for another thousand years until a thousand years are ended. Now, we didn't read it, but before a few verses, at the beginning of the thousand years, Satan is bound up. God uh, puts duct tape on his mouth and 
ties his hands up and puts him in a way, and he has no influence anymore. He shields him from any influence on the earth. And for a thousand years, Scripture says, uh, Revelation uh, 5.10, I think it is, that we shall reign with him on the earth. It says that we reign and we rule and we teach the nations who have survived the wrath. There are people, mortals, that survive, and we are reigning and ruling over them. And the world is a pretty nice place because the enemy is duct taped up somewhere. And God has him under wraps. But God is a God of free will. And there are mortals here, that, and we will, the children will be born, uh, Satan is bound, and so everyone still has to have the options. They need to know what the other side offers because God gives free will. And so at the end of the thousand years, God looses Satan. See, I knew I'd get back to her eventually. He sets him free, and it says he goes out and deceives the nations. In fact, let's just read that. Verse 7. When the thousand years were completed, Satan will be released from his prison and will come out to deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, and gather them together for war, and the number of them is like the sand of the seashore. Notice this now, that mortals on this earth are numbered the sand of the seashore. So there's still millions probably, if not more, of mortals alive on the earth with us while we reign as immortals. Now they've been with us a thousand years. They know who Jesus is, and they know that we're immortal. It shows the deceptive nature of our enemy. When he is released, he says he deceives the nations. And he gathers them to come against us. You know, he's, we talked about this, I think, Wednesday night. He'll probably say, oh, I know they say they're immortal, but I know the trick. If you hit them right below the right ear, they're out. You know, Whatever it is, I don't know what he says. Somehow he deceives them. I mean, he went up against God. He thought he could work that out. I'm going to ask him, how'd that go for you? Anyway, he, you know, he got a third of the angels to follow him. And now he comes out and he deceives the nations and they, you know, to come up and them on the sand of the seashore. Verse 9. And they came up on the broad plains of the earth and, and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city, Jerusalem. And fire came down from heaven and devoured them. And the devil uh, the dece- who deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet were also. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Then I saw a great white throne, and him who sat upon it, whose presence earth and heaven fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the angel, the great and the small. Not, excuse me, I saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne, and the books were opened. The books were opened, and keep that in mind. And another book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged from these things which are written in the books according to their deeds. And the sea gave up the dead which were in them, and death and Hades gave up the dead which were in them, and they were judged, every one of them according to their deeds. Then death and Hades were thrown in a lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown in to the lake of fire. Two resurrections. One is definitely better. And Hebrews talks about that. People like Rashid and others who would not release, would not, you know, deny their faith to get away from their torture or possible death so that they may obtain a better of the two resurrections, the first one. That picture is incredibly sad to me. It breaks my heart every time I see it. But he will come to life again because of his faith in Jesus Christ. I meant to put a picture up here of my mom's tombstone. I've shared with you before, simple words written on the top, the dead in Christ shall rise first, 1 Corinthians 15. I'll see my mom again. We will see all those that we loved again. 
And we are suffering and will suffer more, but not for forever. And so they, these souls under the altar, as it were, crying out, the, the blood crying out to the Lord, how long, how long? And he says, a little while, a little while. Now the little while has come. And John shares it here with these resurrections. The difference, though, between the first resurrection and the second resurrection is the first one, you're judged on the basis of who Jesus is and his righteousness. The second one is you're judged on what you did. In case you can't figure out which one was probably better, it's the first. You don't want your book open and God looking through it and judging you based on what you did. Those in the first resurrection will never have to worry about the lake of fire, which is the second death. The second death will have no power over us. If you're in the first resurrection, it's done. It's over. You made the cut. You're never getting off the team. Those who take part in the first resurrection are to rejoice greatly. This concept of two resurrections is throughout the Scripture. And just, I want to show you one, and we won't take a lot of time going through it, but go back to the book of Daniel with me. Way on back to Daniel. Daniel chapter 12. Another man who had seen a vision. This is John's vision in Revelation. Let's go look at Daniel's vision. Daniel chapter 12. God has given him a picture of some of these very same things that John was seeing, but in a little different form and a little different writing. Daniel chapter 12. Daniel has revealed, revealed to him this great time of tribulation. Daniel chapter 12, verse 1. Now at that time, Michael, the great prince who stands guard over the sons of your people, Michael the archangel, will arise. And there will be a time of distress such as never been uh, occurred since there was a nation until that time. And at that time, your people, everyone who is found written in the book, will be rescued. Many of those who sleep in the dust of the ground will awake. Those to everlasting life and others to disgrace and everlasting contempt. Two resurrections. Now, Daniel doesn't separate them by time of a thousand years, but that's the idea. So the time will come for the righteous to be raised. He says that time will come and they will awake from their sleep in the dust and they will awake to everlasting life, but others will be resurrected to everlasting shame and contempt. Again, we see this concept of two resurrections here, one for the righteous, one for the wicked. If you've got to choose, choose the first. And you do have to choose, by the way. Now let's go to the end of his chapter as he writes the finish of this story and he's finally got all the visions he's going to get and the Lord says, you know, put this in a book, write this down in verse 13. But as for you, go your way to the end. Then you will enter into rest. There's that sleep in the dust. And rise again, resurrection, for your allotted portion at the end of this age. Some ask, and our understanding of these things are a little different than some, and all I do is ask you to think about it and come to your own conclusion, study the Word. But I think one of the purposes God chooses resurrection uh, for those who are dead, and we sleep and we wait until the resurrection, no passage of time. And I think that's why the Bible uses the word sleep. It means an unconscious state from which you can be awakened. And unconscious, you know, dead, and waiting the resurrection. And the reason for that is, is what he told Daniel. Your time has come. Daniel's probably in his 80s by now. 
He said, you've done all the work you need to do. He says, go on and live until your end comes and then rest. And wait, and you will rise again at your allotted time at the end of the age. Now, why would he wait? And I think here's one reason why. Go back, did I already say that, Hebrews 11 with me? Go back to Hebrews 11, the last two verses, 39 and 40. It's, it's, it's like uh, God's going to throw a big party and he wants everyone to experience it together. And that's what the resurrection is for, that everyone gets to join in this celebration together. And in Hebrews chapter 11, remember he's, he's stated a couple times already in the book of Hebrews that all these great people of faith died not receiving what was promised. Well, what was promised? Eternal life. And here's the reason why they didn't receive it when they died. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 39. He says it one more time. All these, having gained approval through their faith, did not receive what was promised. Well, eternal life was what was promised. Because God had provided something better for us. So that apart from us, they, those who died without receiving it, so that they would not be made perfect without us. Apart from us, they won't be made perfect. It's like God's kingdom is going to be so incredible that he wants us all to enjoy it at the same time. And so those who are alive and those who are dead, when Christ returns in that first resurrection, we all are changed immortal at that moment. Paul says it changed in the twinkling of an eye. And it says, at that moment, we come together and are ushered in. Because God saw something better for us, that apart from us, they will not be made perfect. Go back with me to 1 Corinthians 15. We're going to just look at that passage as we wrap up this morning. 1 Corinthians 15. Jesus, uh, excuse me, uh, Paul talking about Jesus and Adam talks about this, that Christ is the first fruits of those who have slept. In other words, those who have died. Um, in verse 20 of 1 Corinthians 15, this is a resurrection chapter. Uh, he spent a whole chapter on the subject of the resurrection. Uh, he writes there, uh, verse 20, But now Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since by a man came death, by also man came the resurrection from the dead. For as in Adam and all die, so also in Christ will all be made alive. But each in his own order. Christ, the firstfruits. In other words, he's, we've had resurrections. Jesus raised some people. Elijah raised some people. Paul raised some people. But they all were raised and they died again. Jesus is the first one to come back from the dead and immortal. So Christ, the firstfruits. After that, those who are in our Christ at his coming. And then when he comes, hands over the kingdom of God. So Christ's are first fruits at his resurrection, then ours at his coming is when we receive our resurrection and our immortality. And Paul goes on to talk about that. He said that, and we use this a lot for, for graveside services because the burial of the body is almost like planting a seed. And, and Paul knows that in, in terms of the resurrection. And he says the seed you put in the ground does not look like the plant that comes out. It's different. It's better. You put one kernel of corn in, you get a whole stalk and a whole ear. And he says, every seed does this. And he says, verse 42, So also it is with the resurrection of the dead. It is sown a perishable body. It is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, so also is there a spiritual body. Now go over to verse 51. Verse 50, actually, we'll start there. 
And he keeps talking about this resurrection. Good news, he says. Now I say this, brethren, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. So flesh and blood does not inherit, not the body we have now. Jesus had a body. He sat and cooked breakfast with his disciples. They touched him. He had a body, but it was a spiritual body. He says, uh, verse 51, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. What's he mean by that? In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, we talked about this, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For this perishable must put on the imperishable, and this mortal must put on immortality. But when this perishable will put on the imperishable, and this mortal will put on the immortality, then will come about the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. He says the dead in Christ will rise first. That's the only advantage they have. They get the resur- they, they rise first. They get started before we do. And just a twinkling of an eye, not a blink, but just a twinkling, a glimmer in the eye before we do, he raises them and then he changes us to mortality. So we will not all sleep. In other words, we will not all die, but we will all be changed. This mortal becomes immortal. This five foot nine becomes six foot four. I just know that to be true. That's my hope. And so he talks about this. That we pray for the persecuted church today. And we pray that their courage will stay strong. And no matter what the world may do, and we see it here, no matter what the world may do, God says it will not last forever. I will put a stop to it someday. There is a day set, Acts 1.8, that the Lord has fixed for the Lord's return. God has fixed. There is a day coming when things will be made right. And the dead, even though they have died early and unnecessarily by the hands of wicked men, that will be changed. And they will be changed. Blessed and holy are those who take part in the first resurrection. For them, the second death has no power ever again. Well, the obvious question today is, how do I make sure I'm in the first resurrection? We have to be in Christ. How do I get in Christ? There's only one way. You must accept Him as your Savior and your Lord and let Him have control of your life. You must repent of your sins, ask for forgiveness, and He will grant it. Scripture says the next step is to be baptized. That is our symbol of dying, buried with Him in Christ, resurrected to a new life as He was. We do that symbolically in the waters of baptism. You're here today and thinking, well, if if there's going to be two resurrections and two deaths, and the first resurrection will get me out of the second death, you know what? I need to take advantage of that offer. 